from the high desert in far east west texas this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with at sports tv ratings welcome i'm robert seidman also at sports tv ratings on twitter and joining me on the high desert hotline today is espn's Derek volner Derek is a manager in the communications and uh, public relations group for ESPN, and he's primarily focused on college sports. I first became aware of Derek on uh, Sunday mornings during the fall when I'd regularly see him grinding out uh, the ratings data for the previous day's college football games on uh, ESPN and ABC networks. Derek has other PR duties for college sports at ESPN. He's usually the person behind the at ESPN PR Twitter handle, and for the last several years has run a fun event around the Frozen Four NCAA hockey tournament. Derek has also proof that you can bleed Boston red when it comes to sports and still love ESPN. Derek, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Robert, thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, uh, thank you for doing it. So, uh, you know, I had scripted out the uh, pretty much the entire question flow for you. Uh, but as often the case, uh, real life threw a small wrench in my plans. And uh, but it's uh, but the wrench is, is as interesting to me as anything else we had planned to talk about. So uh, when you schedule this call, I think you had uh, planned on having a little bit less hectic of a morning than you wound up having. What happened? Sure. I mean, last night um, there was an epic 17 inning affair between Florida and Oklahoma in the first game of the Women's College World Series final. Um, it turned out to be the longest uh, Women's College World Series final game ever. Um, it is a best-of-three series. That began in 2005. Um, like anything, um, you can notice a- a- as the night's playing out, you know, what people are paying attention to. And the social chatter last night be- behind the game was, uh, was pretty high. It was trending for a long time. Um, at one point, I know it was number two behind, you know, the Bachelorette. And then at one point, it actually jumped the Bachelorette. It's the number one trending topic. But regardless, um, came in this morning, wanted to see what the numbers were. Um, we had great results. It turns out it's the um, it, it earned a 1.2 overnight, which was uh, the best overnight ever for a Women's College World Series Finals first game and was also our most streamed Women's College World Series game ever. Wanted to get that news out. Um, we have the uh, final two games of the series coming up um, this week as well. So wanted to just let people know that, you know, when people pay attention to a game like that, they're often interested in, you know, exactly uh, what the overnight was and uh, wanted to get that to the people. Well, that's that great. Interested. I mean, so from my perspective, that's like two plus games worth of minutes at uh, at record ratings, which is awesome. Congrats! Thank you, and and really, a, a congrats to our softball production team. Uh, that's kind of headed up by Meg Aronowitz, who is uh, very big in the uh, softball community. Um, she oversees our our entire season production, and then of course the complete tournament and women's college world series. Um, it's a sport that. Uh, we're very bullish on. There's a lot of interest in. It plays well on TV, and uh, we're glad people enjoyed the game last night. That's great. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to my original script and uh, and ask like, when did you first have the idea uh, that you wanted to pursue a career in sports media? 
Sure. Um, I, I'll provide a little bit of background um, on myself, um, but uh, I went to UMass as an undergrad, was always a sports fan, uh, grew up listening to sports radio, which I think was kind of the Twitter of the early 2000s. That's where you found out your breaking news and, and things of that nature. Um, so always have been a fan of uh, media and sports media specifically. Um, I was uh, involved in the different elements of the athletic department at UMass, and that's kind of where my interest grew. Um, and shortly after school, I knew it was something I wanted to pursue, um, which kind of led me down to South Florida, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get a grad assistant uh, position with the Miami Dolphins uh, media relations team. And that I did that for two years while I was in grad school at Florida Atlantic University. So that's kind of where I uh, really took off in terms I, of my I career. I think you told me that you made a connection while you were at uh, FAU that uh, led you to your sort of first real uh, PR gig in sports media after the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, Alex Reithmiller, um, who heads up the uh, PR at NFL Network, um, I went to school with him, but at the same time, he was um, more advanced in his career. Having He was working at um, CBSSports.com, which is in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and oversaw all their PR efforts. Um, Alex was somebody I looked up to. Uh, just He had really established himself in the career um, and, and really kind of just assisted me on you know various things when I was young and learning and, and, and trying to help me out. And while I, I should say while I was at the Dolphins, too, um, I worked under some great people. Harvey Green, who's a legend in the business. Uh, Jason Jenkins, who's now way up in the Dolphins organization. And uh, Fitz Allison, who now uh, has moved over to the Saints, works in their PR department. The three of them really took me under their wing and, uh, and helped develop me. Um, but Alex and I always stayed in touch. Um, shortly after we graduated grad school, he got a job at the NFL Network. Uh, he had an open position when he got out there. He knew I was interested, and uh, he offered to see if I wanted to come out to L.A. and live, uh, to not live with him, but to work for him. And, uh, of course, I jumped on that opportunity. Um, I don't think at that point I'd ever even been to the West Coast. Um, I'm pretty sure I had not. Um, but, yeah, moved out to L.A. within about two weeks, and um, – started at the NFL Network, um, where I spent um, just under two years out there um, and had a great time. And uh, then, uh, then was it uh, East Coast, the opportunity, or kind of a combination of all things that uh, brought you to ESPN? It was. It was. At that point, um, between grad school and the NFL Network, um, I had lived away from the East Coast, Boston area, um, for about five years, um, and, you know, I am a uh, Northeast guy kind of at heart. Um, L.A. is great for a lot of reasons, but um, the opportunity at ESPN allowed me to get back home. And um, knowing um, that these opportunities don't always exist and you don't know when the next one will, um, you know, kind of open up if you don't jump at it, uh, made me jump at the ESPN opportunity um, in late 2013. Uh, for me to come back to the East Coast. And as I like to joke with people, I, I might be the only person ever who's moved from Santa Monica area to uh, the Bristol, Connecticut area. Uh, you, yeah, usually it's uh, probably the other direction. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so, so Derek, you, you know, for me, my biggest exposure to you, uh, other than the uh, ESPN PR Twitter feed, which we'll, we'll talk about later, is is during the college football season. Can can you take kind of just take us through what a you know regular uh, I don't want to call it run of the mill because that never happens, but just a you know a typical uh, October week for you. Uh, you know, from Monday, looks like from Monday to Saturday, and then we'll spend uh, some extra time when we get to ratings day Sundays. Sure, a- absolutely. Um, obviously, college football is um, one of our, our major properties at ESPN and uh, the property I probably work the, the closest with, um, but I should certainly start to say I'm not the only one in our PR department that touches college football or any of our college sports. I am one of a team of five. Um, Here at ESPN, Kerry Potts uh, is our senior director that oversees our group um, and is uh, involved in anything and everything I do and and beyond that. Um, But our our typical week here is on uh, Sunday at some point, we will get the uh, kind of the commentating assignments um, from our production team um, that is headed up by Lee Fitting and Ed Poisey um, for which commentators will be working which games in the following week. Um, college football, one of its best attributes is it, its fandom and its interest in kind of every little aspect of its team. So things like the commentators are something that fans really enjoy finding out. So getting that information is kind of one of our first elements that we do each and every week. Um, So we will get that aspect out. And, you know, that's on, um, you know, typically either Sunday night or on Monday. Um, Tuesday, we'll kind of skip over this for a second because that's a big ratings day for us. Um, But we'll we'll, we'll skip over Tuesday. But – you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a lot of our focus during the season will be us that work on college game day, um, you know, the ever-popular road show that we have traveling around. Right. Um, when we go to different cities, depending on where we go, um, the amount of media interest can vary, and a lot of that depends on how often we've been to a place or uh, last time we were there, things of that nature. So a lot of that uh, we spend on Wednesday and Thursday is setting up college game day media availabilities, not only that day for in the, in the market type interviews, but also when we get on site that weekend. So that's a huge part of our job as well. Hey, so quick question around that. I mean, you know, I, I've got exposure to you electronically, but I mean, I imagine a lot of media requests come in and they're not coming in from from Twitter. So like when you're as far as um, uh, media at the at the event site, at the game site, uh, how do those requests flow in and what and what sure. ki- and, and, you know, and from what kinds of uh, of outlets are they coming from? For college game day specifically, um we, we reach out to uh, both the school and the local media usually on Monday. Um, by then, they have heard that we are coming. Um, we kind of give them a, here's a FAQ of um, things to know and also some contacts and our, our department of who to reach out to. And, again, this is, a, this is a team of us that have worked on it. Rachel Siegel, who many people know, um, worked on College Game Day for many years and was a contact um, for a lot of these media requests that came in uh, frequently. So those type of requests, um, a lot of coming in from television stations, 
um, a lot are working, looking forward to their weekend newscast and figuring out what type of B-roll um, they can film, what kind of access they have to it. Now, everybody thinks uh, to basically the, the setup in the talent, I should say. Um, everyone obviously knows college game day is Saturday morning, but the setup really begins on Thursday with the setting up of the, uh, air, the staging area and things of that nature, and TV crews are very interested in that aspect. Um, getting multiple days worth of content um, for their programs, you know, uh, from college game day. So when we hear from people early in the week, it's usually questions about where we're going to set up, what type of access they will have. Um, And then it depends on schools um, that we're going to and various storylines. So a perfect example, last year um, Desmond Howard was a big storyline for week one because we went to Lambeau Field. He was a Super Bowl champion there, MVP of the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, so it was a big deal that Desmond was, was coming back. Uh, Coach Corso was a huge storyline when we went to Louisville last year uh, because of his ties to the school. So that was a, that was a big storyline. At other times, it can be one of our other guys or, or, or a different element. He may be a behind-the-scenes guy. So the, the storylines each week can fluctuate on terms of who's of interest or, or what the storyline is of game day coming. Um, so that can vary. But uh, in terms of outlet, I would say uh, TV is very interested in us coming. Um, and then depending on storylines, you know, your typical newspapers um, and, and media sites. And then radio is always interested in having our people right. on as well. Uh, and, 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 and so now Saturdays um... – you know how often how often do you travel to to a game site and how how does all that work? Sure, and um, going back to kind of the the team of we work on, um, we we rotate a number of us on, on the travel uh, schedule um, between going to uh, a game day site or going to a specific game of interest, um, and that game can and vary depending on if we have. Um, something in the market that we need to be there for. Um, I would say, generally speaking, there is at least one of us on the road um, most weeks of the college football year. I would say me specifically. Um, It can vary, but, you know, let's just say, you know, probably about five to seven weeks of the year I'm actually, uh, of the, you know, of the 14 or 15 weeks that I am on the road. And are any of those UMass games? They are not UMass for the professional aspect of it yet. No, haven't haven't gotten gotten to a UMass game professionally yet. Okay, um, so now um, let's let's get back to uh, Sundays for the overnight ratings run, and then uh, Tuesdays for the uh, the weekly uh, with with the finals of the from the weekend numbers. How how does that work on a Sunday? If you can just kind of talk about um, what the interface is like with the research group and what the timing is like, you know, from like what time, what time you're on duty, uh, what time you're looking for the numbers to come out, how much time is spent uh, crafting the narrative, et cetera. No problem. I think um, one of the most important things for people to understand is the various departments that work within a TV network um, that are involved in kind of our ratings, uh, analyze, analyzing, and then, you know, the putting out of our public numbers. Um, first, we have a research department who 365 days a year are the ones looking at our various ratings 
Um, of course, in 2017, that includes your traditional TV ratings, but also our streaming numbers as well. Right. Um, so they are vital to uh, the operation. We also have our programming department who, um, if you don't work in television, what they do is exactly what their title is. They program the networks. They are often the ones with the relationships with the schools and the conferences on the college side. Um, so they are, are vital as well in terms of um, letting our partners know what the, their information is often before the public does. So between our research and our programming department and then our PR department, it's kind of a three-pronged attack on Sunday mornings. Uh, so those are the people are, that are involved. Our research people are the ones who are up the earliest and are getting the numbers. Um, ballparking, uh, they can start reporting, I believe it's any time after 7.30 a.m. Um, I have uh, two colleagues, uh, Lauren and Gabby, who uh, work on this um, each and every week um, for the last couple years with myself, who are, are fantastic at what they do. Um, so they're looking at numbers as early as, as 7.30 a.m. Now, for the TV side of it, you know, we are um, – we are the, not controlling when that information comes in. That information comes from Nielsen. So sometimes we may get information as early as the 8 o'clock hour. There are other weeks that, for one reason or another, it doesn't come in until a little later. So we are waiting um, as much as, say, the public is if they are interested in the numbers. Uh, the streaming information, as it's currently um, reported is numbers that we have internally. So, so oftentimes we can get a head start on those numbers as well. So the make uh, the fast forward, they'll start reporting on the on the various numbers in the seven or eight o'clock hour. By about nine a.m. ish, um, I will give them a ring and we will kind of see where we are at um, on what games we. Um, might highlight in terms of that week in terms of ratings and streaming information. And then in that 9 o'clock hour, we will also um, bring in our programming department. And then between the three of us, um, we will kind of talk and get all on the same page. And then uh, in the 10 o'clock hour, we often look to distribute information. So it can vary week to week depending on the data and what we're looking at. Um, but I would say the process begins around 7.30 a.m. for the research department and 9 a.m. for everybody else. And then by 10 a.m., we like to get information out. So, so by 9 a.m., you personally, you like you and the programming department have the research notes that would say things like uh, making this stuff up, second most watched you know, uh, Ohio State regular season game since 19-whatever. Sure, and, it, and it's not the judge. It, it's like I mentioned where it, it varies each week exactly when we get the, the TV numbers that, you know, it's impossible to say it's exactly 9 a.m. I would say it's a ballpark between 9 and 9.30 each week. Um, but, again, that can that can vary for – a variety of reasons. Um, but yes, that, that by then we like to have notes of that nature. Um, a lot of that work can be done quickly by simply our historical notes and prep um, that all three of our, the departments take part in, meaning, you know, if we have a marquee Saturday night football game that we expect to do very well, um, we'll prepare 
for that case throughout the week. Um, so when we do get what that hard number is, we know um, exactly where it stands historically, and we're not doing the work on that Sunday morning. So for those not in the know, the the final national ratings numbers and viewership numbers uh, for weekend TV programming, including sports, uh, isn't isn't available uh, typically until uh, Tuesday mornings. Now there's some workarounds for that, uh, which is in the event of a really marquee game um, or, or whatever, um, uh, TV networks can order special reporting, um, and and networks do often order special reporting. And then if the numbers are are very good, we'll release the numbers, uh, say for a Saturday game on a Sunday. Uh, but typically the the numbers aren't available until until Tuesday morning. So how does that work for you on a Tuesday morning, Derek? On Tuesday, we will have what we like to refer to as final numbers and viewership. Um, but I think it's important to note on when we talk about overnights, what that actually represents and what that means and what actually most importantly doesn't mean. Um, when we get an overnight number, um, what that number is is the percentage of households that are were watching the given event, um, but only in the top 56 markets in the country. That's why overnight are also referred to as metered markets um, in some media and some terminology um, as well. There are over 200 uh, markets in the United States. And all of them will not be registered until what we say final numbers are available. Most importantly, on um, overnight numbers, we do not get a viewership statistic, meaning we will get a overnight number, example, a 3.2. But that 3.2 is just a percentage of households that were watching in the 56 markets. Right. It does not represent how many people were watching. Um, when you fast forward to the final numbers, we get two different numbers with finals. We get a now a new ratings number that represents all of the metered markets, and that can often change from the overnight, can go up, can go down yep. from that rating. Um, but that also represents the percentage of households. Uh, but then what I like to kind of use is we get the actual hard viewership numbers, um, which accounts for the amount of people that we're watching that are, I believe, two years old or older in most cases. And you mentioned that for college football, it's unique. We'll get overnight on Sunday, but we don't get finals till Tuesday. Um, and that is strictly kind of a Nielsen schedule and how it works on weekends. In most traditional cases, if an event is, say, Wednesday night, we'll have overnights on Thursday and then Thursday morning and then the finals on Thursday afternoon. So typically it's a 24-hour turnaround except for weekend um, events. And then when you mentioned the special reports, there are um, an item called Fast Nationals. For all intents and purposes, they are similar to the final numbers, though even fast nationals and final numbers can vary a little bit. And as you mentioned, uh, companies often have to pay extra to get the, those services. So they're really only utilized by us and other companies for marquee um, events. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, th that, that was helpful. So we, we talked about kind of a, a typical week during the college football season, um, but there are, there are – 
some some marquee events, and then there is uh, there is the the program all of the games around uh, New Year's Eve and the New Year Six. So what is I don't even know if asking you what that week looks like. Like what do those two weeks look like? I guess would be the proper way to ask. Sure. Obviously, the New Year's Six in the, in our college football world is you know, our marquee time of year. Um, you know, it concludes. Uh, the bowl season, um, which is, you know, multiple weeks of, of college football games throughout um, most on uh, most days, multiple games. And then, um, you know, certainly almost a game every single day, excluding most Sundays. Um, so the New Year's Six is, is very important time for us. Um, it's a very important property for us. And then obviously that leads into the college football national championship game. Um, but as you said, uh, with any marquee event, uh, both in fan interest and um, us, you know, a, as one of our pillar events, um, there's interest in the rating side of it. Um, so taking you back to this past year, uh, to kind of walk you through it, we, we would do multiple reports and multiple reports each day based on these overnights and the final viewership. The Orange Bowl was played on a Friday night this year. Right. Um, so on that Saturday morning, I was in the office um, working on both an overnight and a viewership release um, for just the single orange bowl. Uh, and basically how that can work is we, you know, we get the overnight information out, say, 11 o'clock. Um, and then we will get the um, – in that case, I, uh, I believe we ordered Fast National. So we get that information sometime midday. And then we get that out around, say, 2 o'clock um, as well. So two releases for one game for, uh, for that event. Um, and then if I'm remembering right, that, Saturday, that was that Saturday, which played into the semifinals. Um, where that day, that was New Year's Eve. Um, so I went home, watched those games. And then I was back in the office on New Year's Day at 7 a.m. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Um, and um, as mentioned, it's not just myself. Um, our research team is also in the office working. Our programming team um, is on the phone and um, available and um, wherever they are. And you have to remember, not everybody is always on the East Coast, um, just based on uh, work schedules. So, you know, some people, it's literally the middle of the night as they're up and working. So there's a team of us on New Year's Day that are working. Um, and at that point, we'll have the semifinal uh, information, um, which is obviously of interest to people. Um, and then we also will, that will also uh, complete one half of the New Year's Six. So there's multiple ways we look at that um, in terms of the information. And obviously, a lot of people think, oh, just the TV number. What is the TV number? But we're looking at it from the streaming information we're looking at the local market information. So it's really analyzing all three parts of, um, of the uh, numbers, and all three are, are important in many, in many ways. And then finally, um, the completion of the New Year's Six was played on Monday, January 2nd. So the uh, next day, Tuesday, uh, back in the office, and uh, overnights and finals, both on reporting on those three games, but then now also the complete New Year's Six as a whole package and uh, getting that release. So basically, I think we I think we might have put out uh, basically six releases, three overnights, three finals, and, and basically 
four days um, around those games. Particularly with all the interest around the uh, the semifinals on New Year's Eve, does 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 a lot more thought than normal go into okay? How are we gonna how are we gonna play these numbers, or is it is it just kind of the the standard thing that you normally do? I would just say it's more standard in terms of it. Really, just comes down to the prep work. Um, you're looking at uh, what games have done of similar in the past. Um, obviously the college football playoff is one of those elements where you don't have 40 years of history um, with it being a new system. Um, So, you know, there isn't as much history in that aspect of it as well, but really it just comes down to preparing like you would prepare for any other, you know, marquee game and, and just having those numbers um, thought out ahead of time of, you know, you know, what, what this could possibly look like. So I would, I would say it's, it's like anything else, just in terms of really just preparing. Okay, thank you. Um, so I know ratings are, are part of your job, but I, I think one of the reasons I, I kind of you kind of got on my radar and, and stayed on my radar is I always got the sense that uh, that you're not just doing ratings because it's your job, but that you're actually kind of into them. Is, do I have that right, or are you a good actor? No, a- a- absolutely. Um, you know, I, I am one who enjoys math and I enjoy numbers. Um, so it has always been something that has interests me um, in, in, in terms of it. And then also I am just kind of a fan of the industry and consumption and how people are watching and when they're watching. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, uh, that I, I find very interesting. So, yes, I am a fan. That's good. Uh, we we always love sports TV ratings fans or or, or, or any ratings fans, um, you know. But people like me are, I would say, overly sensitive sometimes to how ratings are reported in the media. And I'm just wondering, you know, as someone whose job it is to get those numbers out into the wild, do do you have any? Anything that, uh, you know, pet peeves, grind your gears as far as how ratings are reported? It's not really, um, you know, pet peeves or, or things of that nature. But I think it's important that I don't think, um, and when I say everyone, I don't just mean the media here because in this social media age, when numbers are talked about, it's not, you know, there's a large um, population of people that are reading them, some that are don't have a particular keen interest in it so they're not understanding what it means so i think it's really just um you know it could be frustrating when you put a number out and people think it means one thing when it really means another a perfect example and i was new to this when i was in the industry if you take um a game and you say um and we point out that this game had uh five million uh, a viewership of five million a lot of people think that means Five million people watch this game, and no more, but, right? And no more. And what that does, but that's not what that means. What that means is, if that game went from seven p.m. to nine p.m. at, if you averaged all the minutes together of what the viewership was on average, five million people were watching that game during any part of of that game. So the viewership, in in reality, fluctuates. Um, like anything does throughout that two hours, but the five million was the average. I think what people um, what people assume of of five what the five million represent is actually a number that we like to use called reach. Uh, 
Now, reach is how many people sampled the game at any point. And, and excuse my, me for being ignorant, I believe it's for like one or two minutes. But obviously so, our research department knows what that is. And you probably know what that is, so, Robert. Yeah, I've seen it reported uh, multiple ways. Watched at least one minute. Watched at least six minutes. Uh, the more generic watched any part. But uh, regardless, uh, the difference was... The differences between average viewers and uh, total reach can be huge. For the last Super Bowl, which is the biggest example anyone can give, uh, the gap between average viewers and uh, those who watched any part was 61 million. Okay. So, you know, the idea of uh, what reach is and what that represents, um, you know, as you mentioned, I, I, that number is, uh, is higher than what the viewership number is. And I think some people have that, those confused. Um, and some people might ask why we don't use the reach number more than we do. And one of the reasons is you have to wait an extra 24 hours before that number is reported. So that, um, that in this day and age of everything being in the moment and you have a small slice of time to capitalize on the news oftentimes if we waited for that reach number the news is kind of coming gone and, and we missed our window on that and then the only other thing i would just say in this day and age um really we push the total live audience um and what that means is not only the tv viewership but also the number of people streaming um the game as well as everyone knows people consume um, sports in a variety of ways these days, and everyone is a viewer. Um, so whether you are streaming the device or whether you're watching um, on traditional cable, um, you're a, you are a viewer. So a lot, oftentimes people will just take the TV traditional viewership and not include the streaming aspect as well, um, just because that's kind of the old habit. And, um, you know, we, we just don't think that that is fair to just, ignore a segment of the population. Right. I love total engagement statistics. So I thought a cool way to think about uh, ESPN's college football TV ratings would be to take the total minutes of college football consumption for a whole season and, uh, and then on the measured networks and then figure out what portion of those minutes came from the Disney-owned measured networks, which is ABC and other ESPN networks. What do those numbers look like, Derek? Last year, um, and this is just our, our regular season, um, you know, so the, these numbers are, are through the championship games last year. Um, TV only, we had more than 100 billion minutes of, of college football um, games consumed um, across, and that's our Nielsen-rated network. So that's um, important to point out that it's ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU and ESPN Deportes. Um, so I say Nielsen rated because obviously we have a number of games that are on the SEC network um, as well, and the Longhorn network has Texas games uh, each year, and that those games were not included um, in that number. Right. Uh, but yeah, we've had we had over a hundred billion minutes, and uh, I know we touched on in the podcast the reach number last year. We had uh, more than a hundred and seventy nine thousand um excuse me more than 179 million fans um kind of consume college football uh content on there obviously um 
ESPN is is the leader in kind of college football and, and kind of um, the home of the sport. Um, and that 100 billion minutes watch uh, makes up the uh, vast majority of the minutes watched across the uh, spectrum of Nielsen-rated TV networks, including all competitors. Um, it's approximately about 70% of the uh, consumption was on, on ESPN. So, and, AB, uh, and ESPN and ABC, or just ESPN? Yes, correct. ESPN, yeah, when I say 100 billion, it, it's ESPN network, so that includes ABC, that is correct. Wow, that's, so, so of the, of the, of the college football that's on CBS, Fox uh, broadcast network, NBC broadcast network, and then any of the me- measured cable networks, Seventy percent uh, of of the the minutes consumption is on uh, Disney owned networks. That is correct. That, and that was wow. that's just obviously based off of last year. Sure. Well, that's I th- I think uh, I think that that uh, that showcases uh, what a big deal college football is, and what a big deal college football is to uh, to the Disney properties. Uh, Derek, I know that uh, some people are are critical of ESPN when it comes to their promotion of hockey as a sport, uh, but you are someone who who does work on hockey at ESPN and and does uh, does try to promote it. And uh, for the last few years, you've been responsible for putting on a fun event uh, involving uh, John Bouchigras and Barry Melrose around the Frozen Four NCAA hockey tournament. Please tell us about that. Sure, sure, happy to. Um... You know, outside of the, of the college football season, I work and our team worked on all of our college properties. One of the properties I work on um, is the Frozen Four. Um, as mentioned, I'm a Northeast guy, UMass guy. I always enjoyed uh, some good college hockey. Um, the short version is, um, for people not familiar with the Frozen Four, it's a great, great, great event for fans and families. Um, it's held in a different city each year and really is kind of a trip that many people take annually every year. Well, the setup is two semifinals are played on Thursday. A final is on Saturday night. There's a Friday night that's in between um, that there's not a lot going on for fans. Now, the NCAA does put things on, and uh, the Hobie Baker Awards uh, is awarded. So there are things going on. So I don't want to make it sound like uh, there isn't anything. But, you know, there's a, there's some space there. And we decided to capitalize on that. I have uh, John Butchgrass calls the games for us. Uh, Barry Melrose is the analyst. Anybody who knows John knows that he is one of the um, kind of premier talents in adopting to this social age, not only with how he interacts with everyone, but his whole college hockey following. And then Barry Melrose is just kind of an icon in the sport. So the short version is we created this meet-and-greet uh, basically, um, we held, hold it at a kind of a local restaurant in the city on the Friday night. Um, between the relationships that uh, John has and our ESPN crew has, um, we've gotten the last three years to have the coaches that are playing the next night come. They basically do a fun Q&A. Um, it's for fans. They can do Q&As. And it's basically about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, Mike Richter and his uh, award has been presented Excuse me, Mike Rick, the Mike Richter Award has been presented at the event the last two years with Mike Richter coming to do the presentation. So the event has kind of like grown from this grassroots effort um, to something that's really kind of been a, a fun ordeal uh, during the Frozen Four. So um, we haven't started thinking about next year yet, but I know it's in uh, St. Paul. 
Um, so we look forward, and uh, next year we kind of be our fourth annual college hockey talk with uh, Butcher Goss and Melrose. So if you go to the Frozen Four, check it out. We hope to have another event. That event sounds pretty awesome. Hey, Derek, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. Um, anybody out there who uh, wants to reach out, I'm always uh, just an email away. It's my uh, first name, Derek, last name, Volner, uh, with a period in between at ESPN.com. So Derek.Volner at ESPN.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. And uh, he is at Derek Volner on Twitter as well. Thanks again to Derek Volner for joining me today, and thanks to his bosses at ESPN for letting him. Uh, no DBAP this week. Though I understand Clay Travis might have committed more crimes against humanity over the weekend, as soon as I realized those crimes didn't involve numbers, I stopped paying attention. Next time on the world's fastest-growing sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings, the Philadelphia Inquirer's Jonathan Tannenwald. He's at the goalkeeper and at J. Tannenwald on Twitter, and we will talk about his work at Philly.com and quite a bit about soccer ratings. Please join us. Hey Derek, is uh, is Mr. Soltis around and hovering? <laughs> Funny you say that. Um, I don't think I am uh, quite up uh, high enough on the ESPN uh, totem pole, let alone the PR pole, uh, to kind of have a, a, a high level PR person sit on sit in on my interviews. So unfettered access for me. Excellent. Absolutely, always. <laughs>